Welcome to the Citizens Report. It's the 20th of March. I'm Robert Barwick, and I'm joined by Citizens Party leader Craig Isherwood. Welcome, Craig. Yeah, thanks, Robbie. In this week's report, reality has pricked the bubble, and it can't be bailed out. And what would a real mobilisation against a pandemic look like? But before we begin, Craig, we have a truly important tribute to do right now to a great Australian hero by the name of Joe Carmody. Now, Joe probably won't appreciate us doing this. He's in a nursing home in Shepparton, um, and he's not always very aware of his surroundings. But something happened this week that every Australian must appreciate the significance of. We have a coronavirus pandemic sweeping the world. It's caught Australia completely flat-footed because we're totally exposed to this because we, don't, we can't produce enough things for ourselves. And the government when it finally started to get it act together, and I don't think it's fully got it act together, um, in order to ramp up the production of personal protective equipment, PPE, mm -hmm. right, and surgical face masks, they turned to the only company in Australia that produces them in Shepherd, and it's called Medcon. Now, Medcon was co-founded by Joe Carmody, who's a long-time member and supporter of the Citizens Party. He's a truly great guy. You'll see footage of as I'm talking about him and his um, production works up there. But this is a, this is a man who epitomised and personified, Craig, what the Citizens Party stands for. That's why he was a member of our party. Um, he started his working life as an engineer at SPC, the cannery up there. And he was a really brilliant engineer, invented all kinds of new processes, right? Yeah. Um, Against a lot of red tape too, Robbie. I must point that out. I mean, this. A lot of manufacturing industries are just shut down. They're frustrated because of all the yep. red tape. And well, that's right. He, he had to fight hard to swim against the tide. Exactly. And he did many things that ended up with results that weren't supposed to happen, but if he had followed the government regulations. And before I continue, let me just say there's thousands of Joe Carmody's out there, Craig, Absolutely. who've kept this country going against the economic insanity of the two major political parties, their criminal economic policies that dismantled this country. And the old-timers who understand how an economy works and they're on farms and they're in the little machining shops, etc., they've kept this country going. And in this particular case, here's the one company that the, country, the, the government could turn to. It's in Shepparton. They said, we have to expand production. Pakapana was up the road. They brought in the troops, um, military personnel to help increase production 10, 15 times for surgical masks because our system's going to desperately need them. And it's only because this man kept his company going when so many outsourced theirs. In this period of time, Robbie, in this period of history, what people are going to realise is that real wealth doesn't exist in money. Absolutely. It exists in the production of goods. And this is what we've been talking about for a long time. And I noticed, you know, in this week's alert service, you published an article, The Science Behind the Economic Collapse. And this goes through LaRouche's triple curve function, which he put out in... As a, as, a, as, a, as a device for people to understand the collapsing nature of the financial system back in 1994. Effectively, what we've got is a collapse in the physical economic production of physical goods. And that's exactly what you're referring to in terms of the lack of masks and lack of protective equipment. Well, if you look at that curve, the, the, there's, three, there's three lines. That's why it's called the triple curve. The top line is financial aggregates, just wild, uninhibited financial speculation. The second line is monetary aggregates, which follow the top line because 
It wasn't going into the bottom line. The bottom line is, is what's been happening in the physical economy. And it, we went off a cliff and at different speeds, though, because in some little pockets, people like Joe Carmody resisted this. Yes. Right? And now, and in its hour of need, that's who the government has turned to. Now, I spoke to Joe's wife today, Craig. She said she's, she's very proud of her husband. She said he deserves recognition. I mean, he should be Order of Australia, Australian of the Year, this guy, for, for resisting the insanity of these polls. The people who are making the decisions right now in Parliament about how we're going to respond to this don't qualify to lick his boots, right? And they, they are incompetent compared to how he was able to think to, to, keep, to, to give Australia, make sure Australia had a capacity, at least a kernel of the capacity when it was needed. And I'm, and I'm not sorry for getting emotional because this is, the chickens have come home to roost, right? Pandemics were always possible. This is not a black swan, oh, you, sh you shouldn't have to accommodate this. No, you should have to accommodate these sort of things. Smart people um, always knew that, right? The people who were brainwashed on economics didn't, and now they're learning. And we can't let them get away with running the, man the, the response to this, and that's, why the, that's what the rest of this show is going to be about, effectively. Um, but we wanted to start off with that tribute to Joe. So... We might even get a, a change.org petition going for Joe Carmody being nominated Australia of the Year or something because he deserves the recognition that of what he did that, that, is, that left a legacy to which Australia could turn in its hour of need. All right? Very, very important that this is recognised. Now, that said, let's get on to the rest of the program. Reality has popped the bubble and it can't be bailed out. And so we're going to talk about this in two stages, Craig, today. This is all about the... Mm. The, 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 the frantic chaos around the, around the coronavirus. But the first part is the financial system. Yep. And people have to see a lot of what's happening in the financial system as different from the real issue. The real issue is there's a real, there's a real pandemic and it needs to be responded to. But so far, so much of what the governments in countries like Australia, the United States, etc., have done, and, the cent and entirely what the central banks have done, it's got nothing to do with addressing the public health threat. It's all about propping up the financial system. But guess what? It ain't working. It won't work. <laughs> right? Well, a lot of it depends on confidence, and, and, well, and, and the panic has overtaken yeah, The that. problem is you've got a leopard here. The leopard's a Liberal Party government. It's not going to change its spots. Yep. I mean, a leopard can't change its spots, neither can the Liberal Party government. What is the Liberal Party government? It's the government. It's the government. It's the party of the banks. And look what just happened yesterday. We're going to bail out the banks. You know, and let the banks have a free reign to do whatever they want in this crisis. Well, they said, we, the, Morrison and Frydenberg said when they announced this yesterday, um, we're going to uh, ask the banks to refrain from foreclosing yeah, well, on see, small this business. This is where this garbage. Liberal government is going to cede political power to the banks. Instead of saying, as a proper government should, you're going to do what you're told. This, yeah. is how you're going to, this, is how, this is what Curtin Chifley did do during the war. They used the Commonwealth Bank, which was a national bank in, in, in practice, and they said through the national bank to the private banks, this is what you're going to do. And until that happens in this country, yeah. until the banks are brought to heel, right, and they, they, they are terrified because they know that's quite a possibility now. Well, um, one of the things they're facing, for instance, Craig, is there's no way that as this, the pandemic actually kicks in and the the the, the, the even even the, the even the voluntary shutdown is having an effect right yeah. there's less people on the streets etc what's going to happen to the to the housing market next week the week after the week after and that is one they've got oh. all their eggs in that one basket right and all this stimulus that's been pumped in ain't going to stop make people go out and buy houses sorry it ain't 
No. People are going to be bunkered down, and we're going to see houses. People are going to understand what what houses are worth. These are things they can't control. They can put, pump money in, but they can't control that, and the banks know that. Well, Robbie, go back. I think people should go back and watch the last five years of this show. Yeah, <laughs> because we've been talking about this for you know for yeah. even beyond five years. But the point is, every every market that people say, oh, that's not possible. You know, a collapse of the housing market, thirty to forty to fifty percent, it's not possible. And it's never going to. They're never going to allow that to happen. Well, guess what? They are not in control of this pandemic. Well, I'll give you a concrete me metric on that. Um, so, uh, last year, some viewers remember, I went to Western Australia to Mandurah with, yes. with the economist John yes. Adams, and then he and I and Martin North did a show on it. And of course, we said then, if the rest of Australia was like WA and especially Mandurah, the banks would already be gone. And Martin North observed to me in a discussion this week that the difference there in the West to the to the East was unemployment there became systemically higher, right? And what we're about to go into at a minimum is a jump up in unemployment, yeah. right? Which can't sustain those sort of well, the, they're talking the market as it is. I've heard figures of seven percent, Robbie, up from five percent. But look, they're always rubbery. Yeah, yeah, very double or triple that that number in terms of real employment. Sure. Yeah. So let's just look at some of the things. I just want to run through some predicates because um, we've got obviously more to discuss. One of the things that's happening now, Craig, is the more central banks and governments are intervening, the more panic there is, right? So these wild fluctuations in the market, they're not working. And I think, one, I think initially, before people took the pandemic seriously, initially um, they thought, well, those, those, those big market crashes, 1,000 points, 1,200 points, you know, the, the big, some of the biggest of all time on the, on the United in the Dow Jones, you know, I'd, you know, that's confidence we can, we can, in the financial system, we can chuck money at that. But at a certain point for the public, they're more interested in confidence in the health system than the financial system, even though we're all exposed to the financial system. And if the same governments are not addressing that, then they can't provide any confidence in anything. And I think we're already crossed that threshold. The US stock market has, has as of now, wiped out all the gains it, it achieved under um, Trump's presidency, which was crazy anyway. And, and one of the things I'm very, most disappointed, I'm disappointed in Trump in a lot of things, but one of them was mostly is this one. Because before he became elected, he was calling the stock market a bubble. Mm -hmm. And then he jumped on the bandwagon as president, knowing that it was a bubble. And that's all it was, just total bubble. Um, the important to understand, though, and, and, and there's going to be a debate about this, but don't be fooled. The, the coronavirus is not the cause of this. It's the trigger. And I want to quote William White. Now, William White is the former OECD and BIS economist who actually forecast the GFC in 2007. He said it would happen, right? Mm -hmm. so he was interviewed by ABC 730 um, on the 17th of March, which is a couple of days ago. He said, these underlying problems that have been building up have almost been an accident waiting to happen. The coronavirus is sort of like the pin that pricks the bubble. It's the trigger for a downturn that in some underlying sense was almost inevitable, and we say it was. Lower interest rates to deal with the problems that we currently face is not actually going to be very helpful. Now, one last thing before we go to a break. One of the, closer to home, there is a slow, silent run on the banks underway, yeah. right? And we know this. We know this for a few reasons. One is the alternatives to banks like building dealers, gold, people believe in gold and silver and that, they're doing a roaring trade. They've got massive queues lined up outside their, their, their offices, right? Um, even, even with the coronavirus scare, people are desperate. Well, those people who are desperate to buy gold and silver have been pulling their money out of the banks. And then we get feedback through directly and through other means from people who are trying to get their money out of the banks, and the banks are suddenly coming up with more and more restrictions to stop them getting them out because the banks are nervous about this, right? Yeah. Now, this is an issue. Now, it's, a, it's entirely self-inflicted, though. 
because it's the government and the banks that have undermined confidence in them. Now this is one of the chickens coming home to roost. There's one thing, we've put it a release now, there's one thing the Morrison government could do immediately to not to restore confidence, but to, to begin to restore confidence. And words won't cut it, it's got to be actions. Today, they should announce they're dropping the cash ban bill because people knew what that was for, to trap people in banks, and they're thinking, well, if you want to trap us in a bank, what's wrong with the bank, right? Announce you're going to drop it, just get rid of it. It's a garbage bill, it's totalitarian, it's fraudulent. Get rid of it. Announce that today, and then on Monday... When Parliament comes back, um, currently it is scheduled to debate Malcolm Roberts' bill, which we helped draft, for a bail-in amendment to amend the 2018 bail-in law, yeah. right? That amendment will stop that law being used to touch deposits. It won't, it'll, it'll make sure it protects deposits. Pass that. If the, gov the government has no excuse not to pass it. If they pass it and drop the cash ban, they will begin to start restoring confidence in the banks. If they want to restore confidence in banks, that's the best way to do it. And viewers should demand that. Yeah, just quickly, Robbie, I mean, this is a law that was passed on Valentine's Day 2018, and it was a law that allowed APRA to change the rules relating to the banks to allow banks to literally uh, bail in, convert people's deposits into shares. Now, people, either, of course, APRA and the government says, oh, no, 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 this is not the case, this is not the case. We found out the legal loop loopholes where this is possible, and what we're saying, and at the time, back in 2018, uh, we had that same amendment on the table yep. to, to, to exclude deposits, right? And the government ran through that bill. So we knew that what was on the, you know, there was no good faith. We made here. sure it wasn't amended then. We'll do it now. That's right. All right, let's take a break. Welcome back to the Citizens Report. What would a real mobilisation against the pandemic look like? So, Craig, <laughs> I want to address one thing first before we discuss this, because it is slightly understandable, and I want to emphasise slightly, um, that people don't trust governments, and so there's some suspicion about the claims about coronavirus, right? Mm -hmm. um, what people do have to understand is you need evidence. And we except the threat is real, and, and based on the evidence we see. And if you don't believe China, for instance, well, look closely at Italy. Yeah. Look closely at Italy, right? It's abs this, is a, this is a genuine threat, this virus. And if it overwhelms the health system, as it's done in Italy, Italy you get huge problems, right? So um, take it seriously. That's our position. Take it very seriously. And we're taking you know, measures here in, in our office very seriously. Um, we don't question the information that are coming from these governments. Um, we do question their advice sometimes and, and mainly how slow they're being on, on, on being serious about it. But, um, you know, I wanted to show you one chart uh, that was sent to me by an Australian engineer named Craig Unthank. Um, it shows the, 20, the current growth rate in Australia, which is 20% a day, plotted that. And what you see is that chart shows that we're on track for 10 to 10,500 cases by the 1st of April or the end of March. That's Italy levels, right? Um, some people are saying we could be feeling like Italy a week from now. Today's Friday, a week from now. So we have to look at who has been successful. Well, after a slow chart start, China has contained the outbreak. If you don't, don't again, don't believe us, read the Washington Times and the, the Washington Post and the New York Times, who are, which are enemies of China, but they're, they're journalists that have been there on the ground acknowledging that, look, this has worked, what's, what's happened there, right? Um, there's a really good 
uh, article I urge people to look at from the Washington Post by reporter Jerry Shi, S-H-I-H, it's headline, Lockdown in Beijing, I Watched China Beat Back the Coronavirus. He highlighted what it was like to be quarantined for quite a few weeks, right? But he emphasised how smoothly it went. He was watching footage from Australia and America of people fighting over toilet paper, feeling incredulous because all he had to do was order what he wanted. It was delivered the next day. And even more exotic stuff, like lamb, for instance. Mm-hmm. You wanted to eat lamb, mm-hmm. three days it was there, oh, wow. right? They made it run very smoothly. Read that article for how it worked. Um, Hong Kong, Taiwan and Singapore have also been very successful in different ways. One I want to highlight is South Korea. South Korea suffered a big outbreak, bigger than those other three I just mentioned. But its success has been in keeping the, the, uh, the death rate low, 0.9% through aggressive testing of the virus. They hunted it down effectively. Um, they're dealing with secondary outbreaks and stuff there now, unfortunately. But um, they've also had the benefit of 12 beds per thousand in their hospitals. Australia has less than four. So could Australia do this? And if so, how? Well, first of all, Robbie, it's the virus we're fighting, not an economic policy. Yep. So you have to support the people first and say, OK, well, we'll fight this virus and support the people. You do what it takes to support the people. And look, money at the end of the day is just that. It's just money. And if they can throw it into the bad banking system, then what a waste. What you have to do is immediately ramp up the capacity to support for our hospitals, which is happening to some degree, but I don't think anywhere near enough. I mean, I heard some startling figures this morning that they're forecasting about 5 million Australians at least will get the virus, which means that at least 50,000 people will die. Well, and so at least. when you say ramp up our hospitals, so we need, we're going to need more beds and capacity, but we also need Actual more of what Joe Carmody's yeah, old exactly. company's producing. Which means that, you know, I think governments are, the government sort of hinted in this direction, Get people mobilised and cut the red tape. You know, yep. what do you need? We need ventilators. Okay, build them. Why can't we have a crash program to build ventilators? Well, I hope it's happening. I haven't heard anything about it. You could do it. There, there is a, no, there, there's a discussion, but we haven't seen the equivalent on ventilators like we've seen on face masks with the, with right. the separate Yeah, they're company. more complicated. But look, there's a lot of brilliant people out there that could ramp this thing up very quickly. Yep. But it requires like the point blank, the point blank mobilisation we had in World War II. And people have to understand... When we were faced with the Japanese invasion, Curtin and Chifley turned to industry doyon, Essington Lewis, and they put a guy that actually they didn't like very much at that point, but they knew this guy could make get things done. Well, he was on the other political divide. It was yeah, S- and he was, a tough, he was a tough nut, but he was a tough nut because he knew how to get results. Now, you have to put people like that in charge of this process. You don't have lawyers, you don't have politicians, you don't have anyone like that. So you find those people out, you say, look, get this job done, and you give them the powers to do it. That's what Curtin Tiffany did in the war. And within three years, we transformed our physical economic output to, to be able to prosecute and, and actually win the war. Well, I want to read you a list that was, that was compiled by a doctor, Dr Peter Branson, and we shared a statement that he put out um, where he's called for a hibernation of the economy, actually. I thought it was, a, it was a good statement. But he said, we've got to focus on these areas, food production, food sales and distribution, utilities... Um, toilet paper and other essentials, but then he says, if you have a garage full of toilet paper, there are clearly a large number of assholes in your family. <laughs> Aged care facilities, pharmaceutical sales and supply, emergency services, sanitation services. We need all those things to be prioritised, right? Yeah, absolutely. Food, look, you know, we hear about the backpackers crisis. Oh, the backpackers are not going to be in the country. We don't have a... Then you talk about, you know, the mass unemployment in the art sector, for example, because no one's able to go to work in theatres yeah. and so forth. Well, listen, in a real world, you go and do what you need. So you, if, there's, if there's artists out there that want to earn some 
real work, get some real work, get paid real wages, go, pick fruit. go and pick fruit. I would Let's, do it. I've got to take a quick break, Craig. Welcome back to the Citizens Report, where we're discussing what a real mobilisation against the pandemic would look like, and smiling because Craig just recommended that all the unemployed artists go out and pick fruit to help keep the food supplies going, and hell, that's what you've got to do. That's what I've right? done. I mean, that's what you've done. It just, it just, it just is part of, you know, you can't just have uh, you know, tens of thousands or even hundreds of thousands of people sitting around saying, what am I going to do yeah. when you've got a real crisis? You have to mobilise those people. Again, this was done during the war where, where the government's constricted women. Now, if women you applied it, if you applied South Korean-style aggressive testing to this, because it, it would be better if everyone could just lock down, but you can't do it. You've got to keep the real economy going. What you do is you've got to have, you've got to test everyone all the time. You get the slightest fever, you're out of there, right, etc. You're going to have to do it, but you can keep... You can keep the virus away from those essential supply chains and make things work again. Let's let's talk um, a little bit more, though, Craig, about the longer term, though, because so the, if with the right um, approach, right, and the right priority, we can address this. Yes. And, but but there is an element where we're going to have to gear up our economy to address it. But gearing that productive economy up will set us up for the long term, and that's what World War II Robbie, did. I've spoken on this show many times about the value of real physical goods. Last weekend, I went into Harvey Norman asking for a freezer. The guy, I said, it was a big, it was a big freezer, 700 litres. I just wanted to find out what was available. He said, well, there's none in Melbourne. You'll have to go to Horsham to get one. But look, even if you get there, it may be gone. Yeah. And then I heard other wholesalers, 250 freezers were sold in one particular morning because there's a panic on. Now, the problem with that is, Robbie, we don't produce freezers. Yeah. We import freezers. So what's the value of a freezer when you can't produce them? Yeah. It's absolutely through the roof. So this is the argument of, of, I've always said. If we're producing goods here, yes, they're going to cost a bit more because why we're investing in the physical economy, the real wages of real Australian people and their families. It's going to cost more, right? It's not going to be super cheap because it's coming out of labor, countries where labour is much, much cheaper. It's going to cost more, but the production's here. It doesn't mean you have to all of a sudden have a shortage on or inability to get hold of these goods because they're produced physically here. And it keeps the worker in real, secure Pure. employment. Absolutely. So we've got, to re we've got to look at the economy again and get rid of the 40 years of economic rationalism crap thinking we've had. And we've talked about that in detail. We've got plenty of material on how that's taken place. We've actually, you know, we've led the fight against this fight for you know, at least 30 years since the, the Citizens Party has been existed. You've got to go back to saying, OK, what do we need? And you produce it here. You support the local manufacturers like Joe Carvey. You cut the red and the green tape and you get things done. And you say, at the end of the day, what, you know, what are we producing? And then you actually have to have a whole entire government that looks at what is actually our physical economic output for the nation. And you start to measure this in real terms and you don't say, oh, well, we, have a comparative, you know, we don't have a comparative advantage in this yeah. area you know, where effectively we can't afford to produce cars or real things because we can import them. Except well, we right did, now we could you afford can't. to once, and, right? Then we, and then right now you can't. That's right. So, I mean, this is the sort of way you have to... It's completely different. We have to look from the point of physical economic development, and this is where, over the years, and we've been associated with a statesman and physical economist who's just passed away recently, Lyndon LaRouche. We spent 30 years understanding his method, methods as a physical economist on how you look at an economy. Far different than yeah. anything that's been done by these, uh, you know, the economic rationalists and the, and the monetarists we've had you know, literally bringing us to this point now. And one way to understand what we're, what we're dealing with now is we're, there was a 40-year experiment of liberalism slash neoliberalism. That's come from... It had all these promises, yep. 
40 years later, we can see that they've all failed. And right? people will support real economic development when they don't have to worry about toilet paper and stuff like that because they've got confidence in their government. That their government stands for their general welfare, for their interests, and that's reflected first and foremost in the healthcare system. Yeah. Then they won't have to put up with the crap coming out with, well, from Morrison's mouth where he's been yeah. on one minute defending the banks and now trying to tell us he's looking after us. Yeah. Craig, thanks very much. You're Good welcome, insights. Buddy. This is the leadership we need. Tune in next week for more. Thank you.